this week on Geek Explained, Spider-Man has officially swung his way back into theaters to close out the Infinity Saga. To celebrate, we're giving you a full spoiler-filled review of the webhead's latest MCU adventure, as well as recommending some comics to keep your Spider-Sense tingling. So join us as we review Spider-Man Far From Home. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Ozana, and today's episode is all about Spider Man Far From Home, uh, the film that has officially hit theaters this week. Uh, I think everyone was uh, was pretty privy to my surprise last week when on the air, during recording of last week's episode, I found out that, hey, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home does not come out on Friday, I believe the 5th. It actually comes out on Tuesday, the 2nd. Um, I was super thrown off by that, but I have officially recovered. It only took a week, and now we have the review for this film, the final film in the Infinity Saga of the MCU. This is closing out Phase 3. So uh, more of that to come, full spoiler-filled review. Uh, we're also going to be giving you some recommendations for comics to check out once you've seen the film, as well as our weekly review, this week's comics countdown, and a couple very special announcements. Those are all ahead, but for now, let's jump into our news segment. So we've actually got a lot of news this week, especially in the realm of TV, but we've got just a ton. I didn't think we were going to, but like just, there's a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of stuff. So uh, we'll kick it off with uh, film news, starting with uh, the possibility, apparently there are rumors going around right now, that the MCU will be having a certain amount of presence at San Diego Comic-Con. Warner Brothers and DC have pretty publicly made it known that they will not be at Hall H this year. And we talked about this before, but I still think that's kind of a misstep, especially when they have uh, Wonder Woman 1984 coming, Birds of Prey, uh, really big, you know, female driven films that could shape how the DC universe is going to be going forward. So I think that's a mistake. Uh, if the MCU, you know, wants to jump on that, I know they don't really um, have anything in the works right now besides uh, Black Widow, which a lot of people have made it pretty clear we don't know a whole lot about, besides the fact that there's possibly Taskmaster, um, and that... Uh, 
I believe it's Yelena Belova, the second uh, Black Widow might be taking up the mantle following this film. Um, I think if they want to make a presence, if they want to, you know, establish, hey, this is the slate for Phase Four. Now this is the year to do it if they want to do it without any kind of uh, competition this year. Also, uh, speaking of the MCU, Endgame. Endgame this past weekend. Uh, officially re-released with the quote-unquote added content which included a or an introduction by the russo brothers an extended uh deleted scene that was basically uh featuring the hulk the i guess the um effects weren't completely finished yet but it basically took place before the diner meetup and then uh, there was a really touching Stan Lee tribute as well. But overall, uh, for what they were kind of promising for this to be a re-release, to be like, hey, let's all get together, let's re-watch this, let's beat Avatar, um, there wasn't a whole lot of quality content. Like, we heard about possible stuff, like uh, the Morgan Stark kind of teenage scene at the crossroads inside of the soul stone we heard about this possible uh scene where captain marvel was facing off against thanos forces on vormir this stuff that like really i think would have warranted a re-release just wasn't on there and i think ultimately that hurt the box office prospects and hurt a lot of uh fans including myself wanting to go back and see it and unfortunately that did affect how the uh the re-release went because Unfortunately, Avatar still is the number one grossing film of all time, sitting at $2.788 billion, where after the re-release, uh, Endgame did close the gap considerably, but it is now sitting at 2765 so it is literally $23 million away. So that sucks. Um, it's unfortunate. I think it's uh, a lot of fans, including myself, really wanted it to beat Avatar out. But James Cameron still holds the uh, holds the title for now. And I mean, really, in the uh, grand scheme of things, Disney holds the top what four, top five spots. So uh, Disney wins regardless. But yeah, so that was Endgame. Um, we did speak just now about the uh, Black Widow stuff, so we did get some uh, set pictures which seemed to possibly uh, reveal Taskmaster as the villain. I've always been like a secret Taskmaster fan. I've always really liked the idea of him. I was really happy to see him show up in the Spider-Man video game and then uh, him kind of showing up in the trailer for the Avengers project. I thought was pretty cool too so he's a really interesting character and i uh i'm happy that they're using him somewhere but this does seem to uh kind of close the gap when it comes to timelines because we see uh, natasha with red hair again but hair's slightly longer so i'm still i'm still thinking that it's going to take place within the five years uh, between Infinity War and Endgame, but there's another big chunk of time basically between uh, Civil War and Infinity War that it could also fall into. So either one of those, I think it's definitely going to be showing up on for sure. And then we have uh, Florence Pugh, who has been uh, 
kind of tapped to be the secondary female lead to Natasha Romanoff, um, to Scarlett Johansson, of course, the actress. Uh, she was most recently in Fighting for My Family, the uh, Paige autobiopic film uh, about wrestling. I still haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of good things. So um, I'm excited about it. I'm interested in her. She seems like a good actress, so we will see. Uh, next up, we had the trailer officially dropped for another female-led film, that being Charlie's Angels. Uh, this is a reboot, which is being produced, uh, directed, and I don't know, partially written by Elizabeth Banks, and she's also kind of starring in it, so it's weird. Um, but it stars, um, let me check this out here, um... It stars Kristen Stewart, uh, Elizabeth Banks, like I previous or like I just said. Um, I think it also features oh, what's her name? She was in uh, she was in Aladdin. Um, da, 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 da. I'm just checking through notes here. Naomi Scott. So Naomi Scott and Ella Balinska. I'm not really familiar with Ella Balinska says here that she was in Ten Men and Gwen, a modern tale. So it looks like a lot of um, UK markets. So if you are in the UK, you might be more familiar with her than I am. But um, yeah, so we've got those three. We saw, uh, I'm just looking at the general cast list here. We have Sam Claflin, fan of his. Uh, Noah Centineo. I know people are... Really, he's kind of like the uh, the big teen heartthrob going on right now. Uh, Patrick Stewart also showed up in the trailer, so I'm interested. I'm really interested. Um, the trailer really didn't give me anything to be like over the moon about, but it looks interesting. And I mean, I enjoyed the original Charlie's Angels films for what they were, so this kind of seems like a reboot in the same vein. So we will see out of that. And then jumping into another female-led film, lots of female-led film news this week. Uh, first reactions of um, previews for Birds of Prey are officially out. Um, I was surprised that they were out so early because this film uh, just wrapped filming, you know, I want to say a couple months ago maybe, but all of them have so far been overly positive. A lot of people have been saying that uh, Ewan McGregor's Black Mask is an exceptional villain. We'll see. I have a soft spot for Ewan McGregor, anything that he does, and I love Black Mask as a character. So I was excited about the, uh, the casting initially, but after they showed that kind of first look at the characters and they showed Ewan McGregor just not doing anything or looking anything remotely close to Black Mask, um, I got a little worried. So these reactions seem really positive, seem really good, so hopefully it stays that way. In TV news, uh, Batwoman dropped a new trailer, so uh, looks interesting. Ruby Rose is doing her Ruby Rose thing. Um, again, I have to really kind of reserve judgment until I see the first few episodes, but it looks like pretty standard DCCW fare, so I mean, I'll be checking it out for sure. Also, uh, on the DC side, Young Justice Season 3 returns this week for its second half of, uh, yeah, of Season 3 
Young Justice Outsiders. I'm excited. I really enjoyed the first half. So we will just have to see where it goes from there. It's going to be dropping alongside the back half of Swamp Thing. So that's two quality original series that DC Universe is putting out. And two reasons that you should be definitely subscribing to that service. Also, um, we have some Netflix news here. We've got three different stories for Netflix. Uh, we'll get the sad one out of the way first. Netflix officially announced that The Office is leaving Netflix in January of 2021. This is due to NBC putting out their own streaming service because everyone has a streaming service now. And um, a lot of people are sad. A lot of people are outraged. So that is what it is. Um, I didn't watch The Office during its initial run. I only really got into it after uh, discovering it on Netflix. So I love the show. I'm sad that it's leaving, but at the same time, that's over a year and a half away. So um, plenty of time to complete your uh, 35th, 36th, 37th watch through of the series. So you got time for sure. Also in Netflix news, we got our first look at The Witcher. So uh, this is the series that is being adapted from the Witcher video games. And it looks interesting. Uh, we got that first look at Henry Cavill, who is playing Geralt, the lead, uh, a little while ago, I want to say a couple months ago, and it did not look good. He did not look good in that wig. So it seems from then until now, uh, the wig has gotten considerably better because it looks better. Um, we got character shots that were released both by Cavill and by the official uh, Netflix account of different characters, different locations, and it looks good. It looks good. I'm interested. Um, I'm not super familiar with the Witcher series, but I will dive into anything that has to do with any kind of uh, medieval dragons, uh, mysticism, stuff like that. So I will definitely be checking that out. And finally, in TV Netflix news, we got the green light for a Sandman TV show. I'm not sure. I didn't see whether it's animated or uh, live action. I would assume it's animated. But um, it's going to be show. It's basically going to be put together by Neil Gaiman, the original writer for Sandman, as well as David S. Goyer. And that name makes me worried because David S. Goyer was one of the main uh, kind of figureheads in the DCEU in the uh, Zack Snyder team during that era. So I'm a little worried. I've never been a huge fan of Goyer's work. He's had some good you know, moments here and there, but we will just have to see. We'll see where that goes. And then in comics news, uh, we got more reveals for Brian Michael Bendis's Legion of Superheroes, which is returning to the DC Universe uh, this fall. And the designs look interesting. They're definitely leaning into the more uh, alien aspect, which makes sense because the Legion is a multi-race, uh, multi-planet, multi-species organization. So it looks okay. Certain design elements like uh, Lightning Lad's hair, I still don't enjoy uh, Cosmic Boys or Cosmic Lad. One of those. Uh, I don't like their hairstyles it just feels really weird to me but maybe you know they'll become endearing and i'll get used to them but a lot of the designs look really interesting uh my big talking point is uh we got a reveal for monel so monel will be in the series uh it's not my favorite look of his but i think it's a really good modernization of his classic look and i'm just excited that he's going to be in the series there's been rumors and speculation that uh the reason they may have 
aged up Jonathan Kent was to put him on the Legion because the Legion has to have like a Superboy style character. But I hope the idea that Monel is there will keep him as the solo uh, super person there. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we talked last week about Doctor Strange, the current run by Mark Wade and Jesus Saez, coming to an end with issue 20. Apparently it's been pushed back. It was originally supposed to come out in September, but it's been pushed back a month to October. We're not sure why exactly this is. We haven't gotten any word on what the uh, what the reason is for the delay, but it's coming either way. It's just coming a month later. And then finally in comics news, Marvel has unveiled their SDCC lineup. Uh, no word on Marvel Studios yet, but again, as we said earlier, the rumors are abound that they will have a presence. But they have Marvel Entertainment, which is talking comics, TV, animated stuff all over the place, has unveiled a bunch of panels that are going to be stretching from comics all the way into uh a full Spider-Man animated uh, appreciation panel featuring like Josh Keaton, uh, other Marvel cartoon uh, people who were there, uh, whether it's creative teams, voice actors. So that's really exciting. I I think a lot of people, including myself, were really brought onto the Marvel brand because of the animated TV shows. So I'm excited to see uh, what they're featuring there. And then finally, in our miscellaneous news, we've got some news here that I am very excited about. Uh, first of all, we are doing a giveaway. Uh, podcast news, we are doing a giveaway and we are partnering, partnering up with Danica XIX. If that sounds familiar to you, on YouTube, they are uh, the shop that is connected to Comic Book Girl 19. Uh, she's done different uh, YouTube videos on all sorts of different comic book topics, ranging from her love of the X-Men through the Fantastic Four, uh, reviews of uh, other Marvel properties. So she's been a mainstay on uh, YouTube in the comics community for a long time, and I've been a big fan of hers. And they are right now really putting out a lot of quality stuff, including a brand new clothing line, which is focusing on this idea and this concept of casual cosplay. And what does that mean? It means casual cosplay. It means cosplay, you know, when we all dress up as superheroes and go to Comic-Con, but you can also wear it in your normal life. So right now they've got three different items that are uh, being featured right now. One is a full uh, jumpsuit, both a hoodie as well as joggers. One is a polo and one is a pullover uh, quarter zip up. And I'm excited. They're all super, super good. I've got uh, one of their items in hand right now and it is excellent, excellent uh, craftsmanship right there. The just it's it's really cool if you head over to their website danica d-a-n-i-k-a x-i-x dot shop you will find their website and the first in their line of uh, casual cosplay right now and their initial line is focused on the x-men so uh all three items are influenced by different x-men one for gambit one for cyclops the best x-man as well as wolverine and right now we are partnering with them to do a giveaway of one of their items this is going to be the optic pullover which is their uh, pullover sweatshirt with a uh, quarter zip royal blue gold piping it is the optic pullover if you check it out on their website it is 
awesome. I, uh, as a huge Cyclops fan, I just, I had to get my hands on it, and now you can too. I have one optic pullover in the extra small size that uh, we are giving away for free, and I will even pay for shipping to get it to you. And all you have to do is go on our Twitter, give us a follow, and since this line is X-Men inspired, let me know who your favorite X-Men is and why. And make sure you use the hashtag Danica, D-A-N-I-K-A-X-I-X. All you have to do, super simple, I'll be doing a random drawing on next week's episode of the podcast, and uh, the lucky winner will be getting the extra small optic pullover. Uh, make sure you check out their site to make sure that it will fit you. Uh, the sizing charts are very clear there, so check that out, and uh, yeah, good luck to all involved. So I'm really excited. Like I said, the whole clothing line is amazing. I'll probably be going back to get the uh, Wolverine-style polo. It's just, it's really cool. And the idea of casual cosplay being able to kind of wear your... Uh, your fandom literally on your sleeve in public is uh, is just awesome. It's super cool. So definitely uh, participate in the giveaway. It's our first giveaway for Geeksplain for this podcast. Now I do have to make it a point to let you know that this is just in the continental U.S. Uh, sorry for our overseas listeners, but customs and shipping gets really, really tricky and expensive here. So this is just for my U.S. audience for now. I'm really excited about it once again give us a follow on twitter and tweet at us with your favorite x-man using the hashtag danica xix and you will be officially entered and we'll be doing the uh drawing for it and everything on next week's episode also in podcast news uh, this week's episode, being centered on Spider-Man Far From Home, is going to kick off July, which is Spider-Man Month. We're going to be talking about all things Spider-Man this month, just kind of in celebration of Spider-Man. And celebrating Far From Home, the uh, worldwide just journey that Spider-Man is making, we're going to be making all over the month. We're going to be talking about comics, video games, films, cartoons, the whole deal. That's what this month is going to be about. Uh, July is uh, a really packed month for content here. So I'm really excited about that. There's certain uh, Spider-Man properties that I haven't been able to talk about yet on the podcast, and I'm excited to share that all with you. One of which being our final news uh, piece for this segment for this week, which is the Spider-Man PS4 game. Uh, this was probably one of my favorite games of the past year, and I've been replaying it uh, just enjoying the hell out of it all over again. And our final bit of news is that in, I guess, celebration of Spider-Man Far From Home releasing, Insomniac added two new Spider-Man skins to the game, featuring the stealth suit as well as the new red and black suit for uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. So if you go on your uh, PlayStation, download the update they will be in your game you can use them to your heart's desire so i'm really excited i'm definitely going to be playing through uh at least some of the game with the red and black suit 
I love that suit so much. And I will definitely be putting some time in on the stealth suit as well. But that is going to do it for uh, this week's news. So speaking of Far From Home, we are going to roll right on to the full spoiler-filled, once again, spoiler-filled, this is your spoiler warning, review of Spider-Man Far From Home. So I think when we talk about the MCU films, they kind of have a range to them. They're either very isolated, uh, smaller individual stories, or they are grand spectacles that reshape the landscape for the heroes that are involved. We see this when comparing something like, uh, let's say, the first Iron Man, the very first Iron Man was a very personal story. Uh, compare that to like an Infinity War that completely changes the landscape of everything that's going on uh, before and after it, and that includes Endgame as well. But I think this film, Spider-Man Far From Home, is one of the very first films uh, that just kind of springs to my mind that I can genuinely say accomplishes or basically ticks both boxes. Uh, it is not only just a very uh, personal, uh, smaller scale story in the life of Peter Parker, but it also is a story that really moves the narrative forward of not just Peter's life, but the lives of other heroes in that universe, I think. Um, the effects of this film are going to be far-reaching, and I... I'm super excited about it, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, this is your spoiler-filled review of Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, I cannot stress this enough. If you have not seen the film yet, you need to watch it before you listen to this review. Pause it, go watch it, come back, we'll discuss, but you need to see this film before you listen to this review. It is that important. Um, and I didn't expect it to be. I did not expect this to be as grand in scale as this ended up being. I was surprised. I was very surprised um, at just how packed this film was. I mean, just even in the marketing, when it's talking about Mysterio being from another Earth and we're opening up the multiverse, which was basically cracked open with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse this past December, um, just bleeding that into the MCU with all the possibilities of the Fox characters and multiple Spider-Men, uh, characters that we've seen in other film franchises making their way to the MCU. There are all kinds of things that could have happened here. Uh, where the premise initially was, hey, this is the summer vacation of Spider-Man. This is what happens next after Endgame. And then talking about all the stuff that happens in the film really, I think, shapes it and makes it stand apart from Homecoming. 
Uh, this is a very different film from Homecoming. I was quite surprised because the first, I want to say the first half feels very, uh, very Homecoming, very teenage romance, coming of age story. Uh, it's, it's interesting, don't get me wrong, but I was not prepared for the, uh, the second half switch, and then everything that happened after that was very, uh, just, just surprising, and very, I think, fulfilling as an avid comic book reader, as someone who follows not just the trajectory of these characters on the silver screen, but also the trajectory of these characters in the, in the comic books. So, I'm being intentionally vague because I know there's going to be one or two, maybe three or four people who are like, yeah, I know, I haven't seen it yet, I know he gave us a spoiler warning, but, like, I think I'll be fine. I'm letting you know right now. No, you will not be fine. You need to pause this. This is your blatant spoiler warning. Um, you need to turn back now before we start the discussion on this because this is, I think, going to go down as one of the most divisive uh, MCU films, at least of the past five years. This film was so packed, was so jam-packed with stuff that I was literally just blown away by everything that they tried to accomplish in this film. So now that the spoiler warning is out of the way, hopefully everyone who has not seen the film yet has either paused this and gone and watched it, or if they truly do not care about spoilers, let's discuss. Um, just wow. I was I was just not prepared for all the things that happened in this film. Uh, visually, narratively, uh, character-wise, I was very impressed by this film. Uh, again, just how different it is from Homecoming is honestly just really surprising to me. I was shocked at the amount that they tried to get in here. So I've got my notes here. I've got everything kind of uh, categorized. So first, I'm going to talk about the good. And we got to kick it off with our boy Tom Holland, Peter Parker himself, the Spider-Man. He is just... Ah, he's just fantastic, man. I know that there's a lot of uh, debate among a lot of Spider-Man fans of all different ages. Who's the best Spider-Man? Is it Tobey Maguire? Is it Tom Holland? Is it Andrew Garfield? That's a much harder uh, group to find. There are not a lot of people who think that Andrew Garfield is the best Spider-Man. Um, I thought he was a great Spider-Man, but neither here nor there. But I think genuinely now that we've seen him in what is this one two three four five films now because he was in civil war he was in homecoming he was in infinity war he was in endgame and now he's been in this in five films he's now been spider-man for more films than any other theatrical spider-man and I can definitively say that he feels the most like Spider-Man to me, both on the Peter Parker level and also on the Spider-Man level as well. I was really just, every time I see him, he's just, he gives so much uh, energy and he breathes so much life into this character, even at his worst moments. And I really, really appreciated what Tom Holland brought to the character because this is a character who's been changed. This is a character who uh, has grown 
an enormous amount in the last few years, especially with all the stuff concerning uh, Thanos and the Infinity Saga. This kid got dusted and then came back five years later and then was immediately thrust into a battle where the closest thing he's had to a father figure since Uncle Ben uh, dies in front of him. And now he has to deal with that. This film does pick up eight months after Endgame and it it opens up with the most amazing little... Um, uh, I will always love you. It's like, and I... Like, it just... The entire theater was just laughing their socks off. It was an incredible little tribute to Tony Stark. And that really kicks off um, Peter's journey in this. And that he is trying to fill the shoes of Tony. And I love that he just automatically assumes that he has to fill those shoes. And he has to uh, be Iron Man Jr., which was a genuine uh, general criticism of both Homecoming and his part the role that he played in Infinity War was that he is essentially just Iron Man Jr. and he hasn't really uh he hasn't really done enough to make himself stand out as a character yet which I think is not going to be an issue, especially not after the events of this film. But I really liked the journey that he went on here from going from someone who doesn't know where his place in the world is anymore, uh, trying to fill the shoes of someone who he could never fill. And they address that in the film as well. We'll get down to that a little bit later. But just going from that to him possibly finding a replacement for Tony Stark to realizing everything has gone wrong and he made a mistake to coming into his own as a hero was just a fantastic journey for him and honestly really evokes the journey that he went on with uh, spider-man homecoming i rewatched spider-man homecoming relatively right before i went and saw uh, far from home and it i will say for me personally um i think far from home feels like a true sequel because you know sometimes how especially in the mcu you'll get to a film and it feels like okay it's really difficult to treat this or to to treat this as like a true sequel because you have to have knowledge of other movies or have to understand certain character beats uh to understand what's happening in this film and while yes there is the, as they call it, the blip, which I love, because no, no one in the general public is going to know that a snap happened. So the blip, as they call it, uh, they address it at the beginning, which I was happy about. I'm happy that they didn't just sidestep it. But all of his classmates got blipped. Aunt May got blipped. Um, I'm assuming most of the teachers got blipped. And I appreciate that you can watch Spider-Man Homecoming into... Spider-Man Far From Home, and you pick up on the stuff that you may not have seen if you didn't watch uh, Infinity War and Endgame, which if you didn't watch those films, what is wrong with you? Especially if you've watched this, like why would you? Anyway, um, and I really liked that. I really liked that it carried a lot of the same spirit as Homecoming, him growing into the role of Spider-Man, and now that we're starting to get rumors that Tom Holland's been signed for like a nine picture deal just solo films not including 
uh, Avengers films where he's going to be the lead of three separate trilogies. Uh, we're going to be growing up with this character for a good long while. <laughs> so I, uh, I really like that they're getting into the just what it means to be Spider-Man in a world of other superheroes. I love how he, when he finds out about all of the elementals and the possible multiverse and stuff, he's like, I'm a neighborhood Spider-Man. I'm not like a worldwide Spider-Man. I tried to leave my costume back home, but my aunt packed it in my suitcase anyway because she's nosy. Um, and he's like, what about Thor? What about Doctor Strange? What about Captain Marvel? Like all these people who we consider big time. Um, aren't available for this for whatever reason. For whatever reason. Uh, and I just, I was really intrigued in the, uh, in finding out how he was going to step up into that role, which I feel like he absolutely did in this film. He was a fantastic lead. He continued the hero's journey that we started with him on in Civil War, and he just continues to feel more comfortable with the character with every role that we see him in. Uh, the comfortability that he has in this film, he did not have in Civil War, or even Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, he really truly feels like his own Spider-Man, and I just loved what they did with him here. Uh, but Every hero, as the old saying goes, is only as good as his villain. And I am happy to say that the his villain is amazing. Mysterio continues the trend of awesome Spider-Man villains started off by Michael Keaton's Vulture. And Jake Gyllenhaal is just fantastic here. He is just excellent as Mysterio. Quentin Beck, we don't even know if his real name is Quentin Beck now, but he is just an excellent excellent addition to this cast uh he comes off and uh people who i was talking to uh when after we watched this were very uh very cognizant of how hero-like he was um comment was made about like in the initial stuff where we first see him uh he opens up the film when uh, maria hill and uh nick fury show up in mexico and he just shows up and he you know, says that line in the trailers where he's like, you don't want any part of this, and he just goes into it. He's very heroic. He's very outward, outwardly heroic, even down to his diction. His diction is impeccable. It is really impressive, and I didn't pick up on it until uh, my partner actually just uh, brought it up, that she knew that he was a villain based off of how... Uh, perfect his diction was it was too rehearsed which as we know with quentin beck uh is true and as we see him just kind of in this heroic role where he's basically a mix of iron man and doctor strange i was super impressed by all of the effects that they did with him uh we'll get into the visuals in just a second but they really sold him and he really sold the effects in kind and i liked how he gave you know the backstory talking about how the elementals destroyed his world and his family he had a wife 
he has this nice moment when uh, he's sitting up uh, on the little rafters with Spider-Man, basically giving him a pep talk on like, hey, dude, like you're Spider-Man. You can do whatever you want. This is your this is your world. And he's just very, um, very supportive. And Peter immediately latches onto him because he has been searching for a father, uh, a fatherhood role the entire just the entire journey through uh tom holland's eyes at least he's been looking for that father-like figure first it was tony stark now it's quentin beck and he just immediately trusts him believes in him and i think that is what makes the betrayal so uh impactful because i and a lot of people knew mysterio's the villain here mysterio is full of crap he is uh, misleading everyone, but I didn't know to what extent. I, in certain, uh, I had predictions or theories that he actually was from another Earth, but that he was kind of escaping from another Earth and that version, or that Earth's version of Spider-Man, and had escaped to this world, and now he was going to do this world because this Spider-Man is so much younger and less experienced. But no, um, I love the scene where they're in the little uh, cafe talking about like, hey, you know, we're we won, we're cool, and he uh, and I heard this in a review. He starts negging Peter Parker. If you aren't familiar with the term negging, it's basically a term for conversations when you are subtly just ragging on someone. You're just working subtle digs at the other person into normal conversation. Um, but it was really interesting how he was being so manipulative and I didn't even catch on to it. But after basically he manipulates Peter into getting him to turn over Edith, the even dead, I'm the hero, uh, which I just love that acronym, um, device over to him. Peter leaves to go after MJ and there's just this, oh, he has this shit-eating grin. As the illusion is starting to go away, the holograms are starting to disappear, certain members of the cafe are disappearing, and as the bartender like slinks up behind him, he just goes, well, that was easy. And the bar just erupts and is just like cheering him, and it just felt like a total switch. He was suddenly a different person, and as an actor, I loved that. I absolutely loved that. And he's just like, get this stupid costume off of me! Like, he's just, oh, it was so good! And then he does the reveal where he was uh, a former Stark employee, which continues the theme of Peter Parker having to deal with the sins of Tony Stark. It's the... Uh, son dealing with the sins of the father storyline that was started in homecoming and continues on through here which i love i love that i don't know if they're going to work that into the third movie or how they could work that into the third movie with everything that's going on but i really really dug that and it goes through a history of 
the MCU, essentially. Much in the same way that Endgame was kind of the celebration of the history of the MCU through the eyes of our main players, this film, and specifically this scene where he's giving the toast and the speech and he's just doing an entire exposition dump, which normally, in any other circumstance, I don't think would work, but in this specific instance, really did work. Um, he just explains and we get a celebration of the 10-year history of the mcu but through the eyes of ancillary characters through the eyes of minor characters and i love that parallel uh kevin feige said that uh far from home is the official definitive end of the infinity saga and that endgame is essentially uh part one of the two-part story including far from home and that endgame and far from home are essentially two halves of one interconnected story and i absolutely believe that especially when you take into account how just the perspective the perspective of endgame being like oh these are all the major events that happened and far from home is oh this is that exact same rolling timeline but through the eyes of minor characters i absolutely love that we get to see that Quentin Beck was the, and again, we don't even know if that's his real name, um, how Quentin Beck was the creator of the BARF system from Captain America Civil War, that uh, bio-augmented reality, um, I forget what the F is, but basically that like therapy machine, that de-aging therapy machine that we get at the very beginning of uh, Civil War, where tony is showing it off and basically using it as like an augmented reality therapy thing uh we find out that beck created that designed it did the whole thing and then was basically canned after tony stark basically took advantage of it and took ownership of it from him we also see that all of his accomplices are former stark employees we're looking at people who um were just littered throughout the history of this saga and it goes all the way back and i looked this up it goes all the way back his right hand man is the guy in the very first iron man who jeff bridges screams at when they're trying to make their own arc reactor and he says tony stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps the scientist that he is yelling at that same actor they brought forward into this film playing that exact same role and that is just that is attention to detail that is love for this story that is love for this narrative that is love for this craft and i appreciate it and it also really feeds into the original uh narrative of mysterio as a character being a former uh, visual effects artist who couldn't make it in Hollywood and became a, uh, a supervillain to raise his stock in the world using the tools that he had uh, acquired and the um, training that he had cultivated to pull off these heists and these crimes in the comics. I love that they kind of pushed that spirit forward and made all of his cronies basically former stark employees who were disgruntled and they were like we're gonna get our peace and i loved that i really 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 loved that the toast scene is probably one of my favorites in the entire film but beyond that i really enjoyed how they pulled off his illusions i loved his uh just his selling of the character 
of the character of Mysterio and how he at first just seemed so genuine and once again as an actor I love that switch and you can see I would be really interested I'm probably going to see this again I would be really interested to watch it now having known all of the twists and turns to see where uh, some of those quirks of him putting on an act would come through in this I also liked how to contrast how cool the vulture suit was and initially how cool the Mysterio suit was his real like villain uh, costume is just a mocap suit with like the little bubble being his helmet I loved that and I loved how he spends pretty much the entire uh, final act of this film just by himself on this bridge because he can't physically match up with with Spider-Man he just can't and I love how they really sold how he's just a normal guy who has outwitted Spider-Man. And all of the twists and turns, all of the misdirects were in service of trying to accomplish this one man's goal of filling a void and becoming as wealthy as he can be through that. Um, I also was surprised that they killed him off, um, having one of the drones shoot him errantly and him seemingly passing away on the bridge. I don't know if he's dead. I, uh, in, in a world where we're talking about there's rumors of, um, Black Panther 2, including Killmonger somehow, and that Killmonger might not be dead, um, Unless we see, like, a literal funeral, I will not believe that Mysterio's dead just yet, just because I want to see more of him. I thought he was fantastic in this film. Uh, I want to see more of him, even if it's not just against Spider-Man, I would love to see him uh, using his technological smarts against other heroes. I want a Sinister Six film. I want this Mysterio to team up and also clash with michael keaton's vulture i i just i loved his character he was so good in this but moving on because i know this is going to get a little uh, a little lengthy here uh the visuals have to praise the visuals here they were just stunning some of the spider-man sequences in this film were the best i think the character has ever looked swinging using his acrobat acrobatics um he was just he was stunning, and all of his movements are fluid. They look great. A lot of people were giving a lot of just unnecessary uh, grief to some of the trailer shots because they weren't finished. But I will say that the CGI looked fantastic here. The visuals here are some of the best that I've ever seen when it comes to Spider-Man and the MCU. And all of the Mysterio illusions with the holograms, the misdirects... Um, just stunning just i'm at a loss for words trying to describe them but i'm gonna try they are i mean we've seen in video games and animated series how cool mysterio's uh illusions can be and this is i think the best they've ever looked uh from all of the holograms the illusions having in I think probably the most blatant marvel zombies homage that we've seen in the mcu uh a half Tony Stark uh, clawing his way out of the grave towards Spider-Man was just uh, just beyond words. I was just super, super impressed by the whole thing. And then just allowing... 
I think the uh, the elementals to really take a life of, of their own within the uh, the confines of them being holograms. I really enjoyed as well. Uh, I also really dug the rehearsal aspect of Mysterio's uh, play. I really enjoyed the whole like, all right, uh, tune up the damage about seventy five percent, and all of just how they pulled off the illusions with these hundreds of drones that cast these holograms using the barf technology to really just it ah so good so good um the trippy mysterio visuals uh that he puts spider-man into are the best visuals in the film they are trippy they are um confusing they are exactly what they need to be to disorient peter and he just Oh, takes it in stride, and I loved, loved, loved everything that they did with um, really playing with Mysterio's power set, really making it look as good as it could. Uh, also, I love talking a little bit about the visuals. I loved how essentially the entire final act is how I would have preferred a uh, a Spider-Man film to go. See. Uh, episode 25 our first edition of pitch it where i pitched my own uh spider-man film where the final act is him just trying to uh basically it's him up against uh drones where it's him his action set piece is him trying to fight against uh falling debris fighting against uh these drones it's not some big climactic superhero throwdown it's him just trying to survive and i really really dug that i really enjoyed that i also really enjoyed mj uh zendaya's mj is fantastic here they've completely thrown out michelle just referring to her as michelle at any point in this film um and they just referred to her as mj and i really liked that uh she was fantastic zendaya continues to kill it her and tom holland have amazing chemistry uh and it shows in their day-to-day life too like they are real friends and it shows in all of their interactions their subtle their subtleties as well as their over like the kissing scene like all of the it really gets you in that mindset to root for them and i thought zendaya as mj was also just a fully capable character i'm really worried about um about her going into the next film because i don't want her to turn into the classic interpretation of mj where she's just like oh gotta cover for peter oh now i'm just in the you know the girlfriend role i want her to continue to be self-sufficient i want her to continue her attitude her sassiness like i love that she figured it out a long time ago that he was spider-man and she's just been kind of like following him so i really enjoyed that and i'm excited to see what they do more with her i was also really impressed by the locations they shot a lot of stuff here on location in europe and i it shows because using those action set pieces in places as stunning visually as london um as venice like it really goes a long way when they're actually there and it makes the little moments like little green screen moments like there's a moment where uh mj and ned are poking their heads out of the uh the uh, double-decker bus in london where it's clearly green screen behind them and it's noticeable so it really just 
shots like uh, the entire scene in Venice really benefited from being on location. And then the final uh, bit I have here is kind of a multi-tiered one, but uh, it's Tony Stark. The shadow of Tony Stark looms uh, just so heavily over this entire film, both figuratively and literally, because everywhere Peter turns in this film, there's another Tony Stark mural, and it's it really uh, it really helps set the tone and really continued the theme of Spider-Man trying to step out of the shadow of Tony Stark, and I loved it. I loved that how everywhere he went, he was reminded. And I loved at the very beginning when he's getting questioned by the reporters, he almost goes through a similar episode to what uh, Tony does in Iron Man 3, where he basically has a panic attack because everyone's like, you know, are you the next Iron Man? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he finally just says, I have to go. I have to go. And he leaves. And I loved how the shadow of Tony was looming over him over the entire film, whether it's like I said, the murals, whether it's Edith, whether it's uh, trying to find a replacement for Tony in Mysterio, he is truly trying his best to fill those shoes, whether they be filled by him or someone else. And I appreciated that. And I also appreciated Happy Hogan. Happy Hogan is a star in this film. Uh, John, John Favreau has been with the MCU as long as uh, Tony Stark has, and now longer, because he has officially... Uh, survived one film longer than Tony Stark has but I loved his inclusion here I wasn't keen on the uh, Aunt May romance in the trailers and leading up to this but the film really does a great job selling it to you really does a great job of getting you to root for them as a couple um, or not a couple however that ends up going because that seemed a little uh little they weren't really on the same page at the end of the film but i really liked how he was kind of trying to be the cool uncle and how he was trying to look after peter and that moment that they have in the jet after peter is at his lowest point he's been hit by a freaking bullet train um and happy goes and picks him up in the netherlands and he is just sitting down with him and talking. He's like, what are you going to do? Like, this is, we're all alone. Uh, your tech's done. Like, there's no one here to help us. Like, what are you going to do? And he gives him that pep talk, basically saying, like, you're never going to be Tony. Tony couldn't even be Tony. He was a mess all the time, which we've seen. We've seen films like Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, where Tony is at his lowest. But Peter's never seen that. Peter wasn't there for those moments when he was literally at his lowest. And getting that perspective of someone who was there throughout all of it, I thought was really, really cool and really uh, sold that relationship that was started in Homecoming. Because there was a lot of uh, back and forth on uh, Peter being really like into the idea of being uh, on a team with Happy and Happy just not being with it in homecoming but he really stepped into a supportive role for him here and uh i loved i absolutely loved the uh the callbacks when it came to him especially in this scene where uh like okay we're going to london um i'm gonna fly the jet and peter's like i don't have a suit and so happy presses a button and the back of the jet opens up and it's a workshop it, and not just any workshop. It is a workshop that he is going to build a spider suit. And he, in just one of the greatest moments, 
you know, he's messing with the tech. He puts his hand through like this, uh, this like hologram of a gauntlet and he turns and it's legit. I loved it. I almost cried. I teared up hardcore, but he looked exactly just spitting image of Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Iron Man 1. And it is that idea of the saga continues, of the legacy continues. And Happy is just standing there, and he looks like he's on the verge of tears. If he was like, what? He's like, nothing. It's just, uh, it's good. It's good. And then he plays Back in Black, the song that started the MCU. And I just... Oh, heavy feels, man. Heavy feels. And <laughs> and of course, it's offset by um, by Peter going, oh, man, I love Led Zeppelin, when it is clearly ACDC. It just, it continues to just really push forward how, um, how young Peter is, but how he is stepping into that role, not as Iron Man Jr., but as truly Spider-Man. And it just, it was... It was amazing because we get to see it is in those moments when he finally steps up and is able to stand up against Mysterio and use his specific uh, power set, not any kind of high-tech suit, doesn't use Edith, nothing that Tony gave him like outright. It was something that he built. He built his, his new suit. He built his new web shooters. Like... That was him. He used that technology to make this new suit that we don't see any Iron Man iconography anywhere. And I loved that. And I loved that we didn't really see any Iron Man iconography after that because he is his own man now. He has stepped out of the shadow and both figuratively and literally stepped into the light as his, in his role as Spider-Man. So those are the good. Um, I do have to address the bad. Uh, the first act is slow. The first third of this movie is really slow. And it feels like, I would say, the worst parts of of uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, it leaned a little too heavily into the kid stuff, into the uh, teenage romantic drama, which is great for some people. Uh, for me, I thought it dragged a little bit. Basically, once they... Uh, even though I liked... All the stuff in Venice. Once they get to Prague, the uh, the movie picks up a bunch. Not that there isn't anything of value in the first third of the movie. There absolutely is. But I will say that the first third is the weakest aspect of it. And the uh, back and forth that Peter has with Brad is really, uh, in the grand scheme of things, unnecessary. I thought it was going to be necessary because they made a big hoopla about the casting of Brad. And I thought as I'm sure some other people did, that he was going to end up being Hydro Man, that he was going to end up being like an accomplice to Mysterio, and that, because the whole basis behind Hydro Man in the comics is that he's MJ's ex-boyfriend, and that his his abuse, her abusive ex-boyfriend, mind you, and that he is using his powers to try to woo her and try to get her back with him. And with the whole setup being uh, Peter versus Brad for MJ, I thought that was going to be the story, but it ended up not even being that, and he was just another side character who was a real dick, and MJ shuts him down out uh, inside of the train station, and that's pretty much all we got from him. So I didn't really think that was important or needed, but I still think that it was a solid, solid film. Um, 
speaking about the future, now that we've talked about the film itself, we got to talk about the future, and that includes the post-credit scene. I'm going to talk about the post-credit scene first, then we'll talk about the mid-credits because I have a lot more to say about the mid-credits. But the post-credit scene has a lot of implications. So we see uh, Maria Hill and Nick Fury driving in their, you know, their black SUV like they do, and all of a sudden they both turn into scrolls. Specifically, Talos and his wife. Um, we find out that the Nick Fury and Maria Hill that we've been interacting with in this film are not Maria Hill and Nick Fury whatsoever. They are actually Skrulls, and they have been Skrulls for the entire length of the film. Uh, we actually don't know how long they've been Nick Fury and Maria Hill. I'm going on the assumption that Maria Hill has always been a Skrull. I am going to say that right now, that she has always been a Skrull, and I'm going to stick to that uh, to that theory until someone proves me wrong. But... I was really uh, taken aback by this, and we find out that Nick Fury has not been on Earth for some time. We don't know how long. I'm assuming, I personally am assuming sometime between the events of, uh, what is it, uh, Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron, is just what I'm going to say, but we find out that Nick Fury is on a beach somewhere, except it's not a real beach, it is the inside of a space station, run by many scrolls they have apparently uh repopulated and are now working out of the space station which i have to assume is sword right you gotta assume it's sword sword for those of you who don't know is the uh, space equivalent for shield shield deals with stuff that is on earth sword deals with extraterrestrial stuff so um it's basically shield in space and uh nick fury's working out of the space helicarrier so i'm interested to see where that goes we do know that phase four is going to go uh further out further cosmic and we've got guardians of the galaxy volume three captain marvel 2 uh doctor strange 2 that all will be dealing with larger than earth problems and now that thanos has kind of opened up the door to more cosmic stuff we're gonna see more of it especially now that the fox characters like galactus silver surfer are now on the board so i was impressed by that i was taken aback uh this is going to be a uh i think a flashpoint moment where it's like okay now everything's on the board and now we've got sword looming in the background we've got the scrolls looming in the background so once again, we don't know how long Nick Fury has been gone working with them. We don't know what their goal is because Sword has has in the comics at least has been just as shifty as Shield on different occasions. So we'll see. But the big thing, the big takeaway, the thing that everyone who has seen the movie is talking about is that mid-credits scene, uh, which starts off basically on the tail end of the final scene of the film where uh, Spidey is taking MJ web swinging, which I loved. I love that the film ended on that because uh, she is just terrified, which completely contrasts the, uh, the MJ swinging scene from the first Raimi Spider-Man where she's just like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Uh, MJ in Far From Home is just screaming the entire time. She doesn't like it. And then they do like a little nice flip and spider-man just fucking drops her he just drops her and then it cuts to credits and i loved that i loved that and then the uh the mid-credit scenes opens up 
and pretty much at the tail end of that where he uh he sets her down and she's like i will never ask to do that ever again and i uh i loved that and then uh there's a news story going on where this per this newscast this nameless faceless newscaster is talking about how a video has been uploaded by the now deceased hero mysterio once again we don't have a body specifically there's been no confirmed like death death for him so i still think he could come back in my heart of hearts but we see that he issued out a video it was his last resort we saw during the uh during the final confrontation when the he was in uh in communication with his right hand man basically telling that telling him like they'll see what i want them to see and we saw his little his his uh his lackey his flunky download something into a flash drive and run away with it so we now find out that that was a video that mysterio had doctored and worked up basically blaming spider-man for everything that happened with the drone strike and who you may ask got a hold of this video and uploaded it and shared it to every news media outlet everywhere who would be so dastardly to think that spider-man is not only a threat but also a menace that's right j freaking jonah jameson and not just any j jonah jameson jk simmons jonah jameson i audibly shouted no in the theater louder than i should have just in shock just in absolute awe that they actually brought jk simmons back to play j jonah jameson and it's just it blew my mind feige has basically said uh i have no cares in the world i don't give a care to what continuity is anymore i rule the world I am the master planner. I can do whatever I want, and I can even bring back J.K. Simmons to play J. Jonah Jameson. He's not the same J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, he is considerably more bald. He is actually rocking uh, J.K. Simmons' normal haircut, and he is not rocking the uh, the Jameson uh, Hitler stash. He is just a regular normal mustache, and he doesn't seem to be in charge of any kind of newspaper. It seems to be. A little bit closer to uh, the Spider-Man PS4 game where he's basically running a podcast and his own kind of YouTube news kind of deal and that's what the Daily Bugle is here but uh, he basically says like this you know this threatened menace you know has has been outed by the greatest hero that has ever come to earth Mysterio and the video is Mysterio basically blaming Spider-Man for the drone attack saying that he saved the world from the elementals and now this drone attack has been issued by Peter Parker and he uses this doctored footage of Peter actually calling off the drone strike but they edited the footage in a way that it sounds like he is calling the drone strike and then in the middle of Times Square, in just, I could not believe they did this. Um, the end of the video, Mysterio goes, Spider-Man's real name is Peter Parker. And it zooms in on Peter's face. He puts his hands on his head like, no! And it cuts out. 
It just goes to credits. This is a game changer. This is just... Ooh, you want to talk about Flashpoint. This is a moment that is going to change the direction of Spider-Man's trajectory in the MCU. Um, the MCU's never been really big on uh, secret identities, but this, I thought, was going to be one that stuck because it's so integral. Integral? Integral? Mm. That's a hard word to say. It's it's so uh, integral to Spider-Man's character that he has a secret identity, he has a, an aunt, and he has to you know go to the Daily Bugle and take pictures. That them turning it on its head and basically saying, "Hey, yeah, that story you thought you were gonna get completely, completely sideways now," I thought was just uh, just fantastic, and it is the exact opposite of the I am Iron Man moment where he gets to control the narrative and it doesn't matter that he outs his identity to the world because he is a billionaire who is basically bulletproof now. Peter Parker does not get to enjoy those kinds of advantages because he is a normal teenager living in Queens with an aunt who is not bulletproof, with friends who are not bulletproof, and things are going to start to go very wrong very quickly for him. So it is just, what a cliffhanger to leave this film on. Um, what a cliffhanger to leave this character and the MCU as a whole on. Uh, we are hopefully going to get more of a sense of what Phase 4 is going to be uh, at San Diego Comic-Con. But uh, until then, this is what we've got. This is the end of the Infinity Saga. This is rolling into phase four and i don't know where they're gonna go with this i don't know if this was just kind of a cameo for j jonah jameson if he is going to end up being a more uh prominent character in the next film or what's gonna happen there is a world of possibilities and uh, i'm gonna tell you that knowing the parker luck uh 90% of it is gonna be bad so um, that is it for the uh, review for Far From Home. If I had to give it an arbitrary rating, the, uh, the good old Geeksplain arbitrary star ratings, I would have to give this a three and a half stars out or No, I'd say three and three quarter stars out of five. Um, what stops it from getting to that coveted four star spot is just how I just really didn't like the first third of this film um there were moments that i just really didn't care about the whole opening of the uh venice scene where peter is basically just like moping around after mj is spending time with brad i just didn't need and i think really slowed the pace of the film so um but beyond that it is a solid film it is fantastic it is a must watch uh, Spider-Man is back again, and he is putting out quality content like he always is. But uh, that is not where our uh, our main course ends for this week, because after watching Far From Home, all I could think about was, I need to read a Spider-Man comic right now. And if you're like me, and you found that you were having that same kind of craving 
boy, do I have options for you. I have some recommended reading here. There's four books, just four books, that I think you should definitely check out. I'm going to give you the title, the creative team behind it, as well as a brief synopsis of each in the vein of our uh, comics countdown. And I'm just going to let you know, these are books that I think are... Uh, not just relevant to the film, but uh, could possibly be relevant going forward as well with the character post Far From Home. So the first one I got to put out is probably the newest of all the books, which is Spider-Man vs. Mysterio Collection. Uh, this is featuring a bunch of different uh, creative teams with uh, writers such as Stan Lee, Jerry Conway, David, Mi David Michelini, and artists like Steve Ditko, John Romita, Todd McFarlane. This is basically a collection of Spider-Man's early kind of stories against Mysterio, uh, going all the way up to a couple issues from uh, 2005. So here is the synopsis for Spider-Man vs. Mysterio. When Spider-Man battles Mysterio, the stakes are far deadlier than just smoke and mirrors. Find out exactly how dangerous the Master of Illusion can be in this collection of Spidey's greatest showdowns with one of his oldest foes. Relive Quentin Beck's sinister, Steve Ditko-drawn debut, and larger-than-life battles illustrated by John Romita Sr., Todd McFarlane, Marcos Martin, and more. Mysterio's mists and mysteries plague Peter Parker in wicked ways, from shrinking him to six inches tall to seemingly summoning all of Spidey's greatest foes. But is it always Beck under the iconic fishbowl helmet, or are there multiple Mysterios? Can even death stop his deceptions? So yeah, this is a great collection uh, chronicling some of their biggest confrontations. I really enjoy it. Uh, if you were impressed by Mysterio as a character, I think you'll enjoy this too. Next up, an oldie but a goodie, big favorite of mine, Spider-Men. Uh, this is written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Sarah Pacelli, the creators of Miles Morales. And if you were a fan of Into the Spider-Verse, if you listened to our Into the Spider-Verse uh, episode, you'll know that I recommended this book for that too. But I'm recommending this for a couple reasons. First of all, Mysterio is the main antagonist here. Second of all, this is uh, an interesting sell because on one hand, we get uh, our Peter Parker that we've come to know and love in the comics interacting with the Ultimate Universe. We're talking a slightly younger Aunt May, Nick Fury, and dealing with... Uh, all kinds of different teenage uh, Gwen, teenage MJ, that kind of stuff. But we also get a really great story of Miles, who is at this point fairly early on in his career as Spider-Man, and he's trying to live up to a basically to a legacy that he doesn't think he'll ever be able to match. Does that sound familiar to you? I think it does, because it's exactly Peter Parker's journey in this film and when he comes face to face with the living embodiment of that legacy with a peter from an alternate earth miles has to re-examine whether he is up to the job and whether he can do the things that he needs to do and fill the shoes that he needs to fill so i think it's a great story here is the synopsis universes collide for the first time in one ultimate amazing spider-man story 
superstar writer Brian Michael Bendis at last unites the wall crawlers of two worlds. Courtesy of the multiversal machinations of Mysterio, the Marvel Universe's friendly neighborhood Peter Parker meets Ultimate Comics' new kid on the block, Miles Morales, in a landmark tale they said would never be told. The new Ultimate Spider-Man is sure to learn much of power and responsibility from his amazing counterpart, a grown-up version of his fallen idol. But what lessons lie in wait for an adult Peter in a world at once familiar, yet strikingly different? A world in which he died young, but friends, foes, and loved ones live on. So yeah, this is also dealing in a world where everyone knows who Peter Parker is and how he's Spider-Man. So it's a great story, just it's a seminal Spider-Man story. It is wonderful, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I think you will be too once you read this. Next up, we have Amazing Spider-Man Volume 11, Back in Black. This is uh, encompassing issues number 539 through 543 of the the 1999 Amazing Spider-Man, which took place, I want to say these issues took place in 2008. This is just post-comic Civil War. Um, I would, if you are... Uh, buying the comics individually or going through comiXology, I would also recommend picking up issue 538 because that kind of sets the stage for this story. But the reason I'm including this is this is a story dealing with the aftermath of Spider-Man's identity being outed to the public. Because in Civil War, Spider-Man, at least in the comics, Spider-Man revealed himself to be Peter Parker. And we really didn't get time to deal with the ramifications of that. In the actual Civil War event, there were Spider-Man tie-ins dealing with him basically uh, putting MJ and Aunt May in a uh, rundown motel to keep them safe. But basically all of his villains now know who he is and are going to go after him. And that this is the kind of story that we can expect to see in Spider-Man 3, whatever that ends up being. I, In my heart of hearts, I want it to be called Spider-Man Hometown Hero. If they're sticking with the home, uh, uh, the home titles, uh, the home theming, I think hometown hero is a really cool uh, evolution of that. But I, uh, I think this is just a great story in itself as well. This is written by J. Michael Straczynski with art by Ron Garney. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski is one of the great Spider-Man writers. He brought him through a lot. Uh, I wish his story or his run on the book had ended better or differently i guess but i uh, i really enjoyed a lot of his work and this one uh, is post civil war and it starts off the end of issue 538 kind of sets the stage where um a loved one is shot because of her connection to spider-man and peter parker so it's a great story of spider-man dealing with the aftermath of his choice to out his identity how he goes about trying to figure out why uh his loved one was attacked and how um he is going to now move on into a world that knows his name so i think it's definitely relevant when you take into account the uh mid the mid credit scene and I think it's something that they may draw from going forward. And also, as the uh, title suggests, it does feature the return of the black suit, which is a fan-favorite Spider-Man costume. Uh, this isn't the symbiote suit. It is just a uh, cloth suit that he made in the same styling as the symbiote suit. But it really sells how serious this is. Uh, Peter is an adult in this story, so it's a little... Uh, it's. He's kind of becoming at it 
from a different perspective than Tom Holland's will. But I think it is a great, dark, uh, moving story. So let's jump into the synopsis. Look what someone found in their closet. Reeling in the aftermath of the Civil War that's racked the Marvel Universe, Peter Parker has got plenty of reasons to consider a change of wardrobe. Black is his state of mind, but the worst is yet to come for Spider-Man. Get on board here, True Believer, as we gear up for an event that will forever change the life of your favorite web-slinger. There is no going back. So this story also leads into the highly controversial Spider-Man One More Day storyline, pretty much directly leads into it. So uh, even though One More Day is very divisive, and I think more often than not people outright hate it, this story, which is which kind of is the lead-up and lead-in into it, is fantastic. I definitely think you should pick it up. But finally, the book I think you should be picking up for sure if you enjoyed Far From Home is Ultimate Comics Spider-Man The World According to Peter Parker. Let me see if this sounds familiar to you. There was a universe-shaking event in the Marvel Universe which affected hundreds of millions of people. And Spider-Man, following this major event which cost the lives of multiple heroes, now has to pick up the pieces and find out where he fits in the world post a war-torn New York. Does that sound familiar? Kind of sounds like Far From Home, right? Well, what if I told you this story also features Mysterio as an antagonist? This is the story of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man The World According to Peter Parker. Uh, this is dealing in the Ultimates, uh, the Ultimate Comics line before his death and before Miles Morales. This run, which is uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by David LaFuente, um, is, I think, really interesting. And I didn't, I haven't revisited it. Uh, I actually, I haven't read it in a while, but I did revisit it, uh, I believe, a couple days ago. And it was just such an easy read and so fun because this is... Uh, in the aftermath of Ultimatum, which is another super controversial comic where uh, essentially Magneto, in the grief of losing both Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, sh uses his magnetic powers to shift uh, the magnetic uh, frequency of the North and South Poles and causes a gigantic tidal wave to flood New York, killing dozens. We're talking dozens of heroes, from uh, the Wasp to many, many X-Men. Uh, this is a really just Marvel Universe superhero community-shaking event, and following this, there's a new status quo, and Spider-Man now kind of has to find his way where he fits in all of this, being a just a teenager living in a world post- a tragedy a la their 9-11. So it is really interesting. I think it has a lot of parallels to Far From Home in that it's a more personal Peter Parker story. It does also deal with the larger uh, Marvel Universe as a whole with supporting characters like the Human Torch, Iceman, Kitty Pride, and more. I definitely think this is a book that you should pick up if you are interested in it because this really, I think, captures the spirit of Tom Holland's Spider-Man in the comics. He is, uh, I think it's no secret that they pulled a lot of the Ultimate Comics uh, 
influences Ultimate Spider-Man in crafting the character for Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And this is, I think, I I think a great kind of midpoint between the initial Ultimate Comics and Tom Holland's version. So here's the synopsis. After the ultimatum wave killed many of New York's superheroes, Spider-Man finds himself strangely beloved by the city, and he deals with the villain Mysterio, as well as personal problems with his new girlfriend. So that sounds really familiar. If you take out ultimatum wave and you just put in the snap or the blip, it sounds pretty much like the rest of the synopsis for uh, Far From Home. He is a he is on a national stage now. He is an honorary Avenger, and he is you know trying to figure out his way in the world. So I would definitely pick this up. This is I think the most like the story of Far From Home. And if you loved the story of Far From Home like I did, this is definitely a book that you are going to want to pick up. So, um, yeah, that's going to do it for all of this. If you have seen Spider-Man Far From Home, please let me know what you thought. I loved the film. I really think it's worth a second or third watch, if for nothing else, the uh, Mysterio sequences alone, and how it is going to completely shake up Spider-Man's place in the Marvel Universe going forward and into Phase 4. And I, for one, cannot wait to see exactly where Spider-Man goes from here. And that beautiful haunting melody can only mean one thing. It is time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are waist deep in the swamp. That being the live action swamp thing show on the DC Universe streaming service and app. And this week we are reviewing episode number five entitled Drive All Night. Um, this might be my favorite episode so far. Uh, there was just a lot of stuff that happened in this episode. I feel like every single episode, more and more stuff is becoming uh, available for us to view, giving us more uh, hints about where the story is going, and just giving us more insight into each character's mind and all the stuff that they are not just experiencing, but also suffering through because of their past. And this was a very interesting episode when it comes to that stuff uh, mostly because of the first bullet point i have here which i have titled the hunting of shauna sunderland um this is uh kind of the big overarching theme when it comes to abby versus the sunderlands the idea that somehow abby was responsible for the sunderlands uh daughter shauna's death and we actually got to see really what happened sort of, uh, this time around, including Abby having a big confrontation with Shauna, uh, because Shauna has officially possessed Susie, and once again, just poor Susie, who just has to go through all of the shit this, uh, whole season has just put in front of her, um, 
her dad dying, her getting infected, her being cured, being sold by her deadbeat uncle, and now getting possessed by the ghost of this vengeful uh, daughter is just, it's awful. It's really, really awful. Um, and this ghost who has been possessing Susie has completely just brainwashed, uh, I want to say Maria, I keep forgetting her name and I feel so bad, but um, Mrs. Sunderland has completely brainwashed her into believing that Susie is Shauna, and it's just sad. It really is sad because you you get the, you get the feeling that uh, Shauna's death really just destroyed the marriage between Avery and Maria and um this really seems like to her at least the only way for her to continue going through her life is to attach herself to this ghost that is not just haunting the house but now possessing the only you know bright spot in her life right now so that's really sad um Swamp Thing also kind of went uh, 1v1 with the Swamp for a little bit. Uh, the Swamp was kind of fighting back against him and trying to show him something. It showed him the scene where uh, Shauna supposedly died, but as we saw later on with the full flashback, uh, it was not at that point. But um, following this, he encounters a mysterious man. Uh, I have no idea who this guy is. He's a very schlubby guy who's just seems like he's just drifting through the swamp but there's something off about him he seems very um i don't know he's just this strange dude who could be a ghost he could be a phantom he no way okay i just thought of this and this is gonna sound really dumb this is gonna sound really dumb and i recognize this but what if because this guy only way I can really describe him is like Swamp Man Kevin Smith plus like 50 pounds. And he, great character, great actor, uh, really sold the uh, mysterious uh, kind of qualities of him. But what if this guy, because we heard rumors about this during the uh, casting process as well as the production of the show. What if this guy is the Phantom Stranger? We haven't seen that kind of character in any of the DC TV shows yet, uh, like the Spectre, um, characters like that. What if this is the Phantom Stranger? I I don't know. I haven't looked at like the like the IMDb yet uh, because I'm interested in this character and kind of what he's going to bring to the show. But if he's the Phantom Stranger, I'm going to lose my shit. I swear. Um, Wow, I didn't even think about that. That is... Anyway, um, we also got to see more of uh, Cassidy, a.k.a. Blue Devil, uh, trying to leave. He tries to leave Murray, and uh, he's like driving his car right to the border, and then he just can't bring himself to do it. He skids his car to a halt, and then uh, somehow, for some reason, when he tries to reach out past the border, his arm just catches on fire. And he's just, you know, in pain, and he you see him open up his trunk, and he's talking to something in the trunk, saying, you know, the biggest mistake that I ever made was leaving Los Angeles to come here to play you. And so he was previously an actor, we can tell he was a stuntman as well, and that lines up with his... Uh, his comic book origin, but as we, as the camera pans into the trunk, we see a blue devil mask. So that might be the uh, the extent of him being blue devil up until he gets turned 
into the Blue Devil, perhaps, by Madame Xanadu or whatever else is going on in the season. But I really enjoyed this scene. He is The actor is doing an incredible job, and I really like how uh, weathered he feels as a character. So I really liked that. Uh, we also find out at the very end of the episode that Woodrow seems to have figured it out. Woodrow seems to have figured out, because he infiltrates uh, Al Collins' lab earlier in the episode and we i i feel like he knows at this point woodrow knows that alec holland has turned into the swamp thing and he is going to let avery know and things are about to go downhill from here uh this is the halfway point so um it makes sense that we are kicking off the next stage of the season uh we also got some interesting uh Scenes, speaking of Avery, with his obsession with trying to keep Liz Tremaine from uh, spreading more of uh, his dirty laundry around Murray, uh, including a really tense situation when Liz gets confronted by two masked men who are probably going to just beat the crap out of her until she promises she won't publish any more uh, disparaging stuff against him. But luckily, Liz is able to get away with the help of Cassidy, who shows up at the right place at the right time. Uh, I've been really enjoying Liz as a character. I really like her, and I hope we see more of her as the season progresses. But uh, this episode really boiled down to Abby versus Shauna. Uh, we are going to see more of this. Uh, we saw, finally, what ended up happening. They were both on the bridge at the end of their high school years, and uh, they were going to jump off. At least Shauna was kind of poised to do that. Abby was a little afraid. But she, you know, tried to play a prank on Shauna by pushing her off the bridge into the water below. And uh, Shauna didn't come back up. So Abby jumped in after her. Shauna popped up, revealing that she was kidding the whole time. And then she got yanked down by something in the river. We don't know what it was yet. We don't know what, uh, what to think. At least I don't. So I'm really interested to see how they pay this off. Uh, Shauna has fully possessed Susie, so that is going to be something that is going to continue on into the next few episodes. But the big takeaway for me for this episode that I really loved is that this show has successfully made me invested in so many different stories. Whether it's Woodrow trying to figure out a cure for his wife and doing anything that he can to... Uh, make that happen whether it's Avery trying to cover up his uh his dealings and his ongoing battles with Liz uh Maria Sunderland and her depression following the death of her daughter Susie's story Abby's story trying to figure out how to uh solve everything that's going on uh Cassidy's story trying to leave Murray and his intertwining narrative with uh Madame Xanadu I just really think that they've made a really strong supporting cast and that's difficult especially in this day and age when uh, it seems like TV is really only focused on your main uh, main characters. So I really liked it. I really appreciate a strong supporting cast and the fact that it gets you invested in every single character, in every single story that's going on inside of Marais. So that is going to do it for this week's uh, weekly review 
Once again, we are at the official halfway point for the season, only five more episodes to go, and I am really interested to see where they go with certain characters. Let me know what you thought of this week's episode. If you've been uh, watching, if you haven't been watching, let me know that as well. Feel free to let me know, of course, on our social media, Instagram or Twitter, or through email, and we will see you right back here next week for next week's episode. But for now, let's hop on over to this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I tell you the comics that I think you should be picking up, whether that's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should be checking out. We're going to be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you would like me to try out, feel free to request that on uh, Twitter or Instagram at GeeksplainedPod, that's at GeeksplainedPod, or through email because I'm an old man and I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six books for you today. Uh, We've got one, two, three DC, three Marvel, even split this week. So I'm interested in the books that are coming out this week. Uh, There are a couple that I'm a little uh, cautiously optimistic about, but we've got some really quality comics uh, that are going to be hitting shelves. So let's start off with uh, our first book for this week, which is Captain America Invaders Bahamas Triangle Number 1. Say that five times fast. This is written by Roy Thomas with art by Jerry Ordway. And uh, this book looks interesting. Uh, Both of these, I'm not incredibly familiar with either of uh, Roy Thomas or Jerry Ordway, though I've seen their stuff a lot. So I'm interested. This book is going to be taking place in World War II, and you know I'm a sucker for World War II, and even more a sucker for Captain America stories in World War II. So let's jump into the synopsis here. March 1941. Assigned to safeguard President Roosevelt during a fishing trip in the Bahamas, the newly commissioned Cap endures his baptism under fire, while a German U-boat carrying the Nazi super-soldier called Der Wunderkrieger, or the Wundervorrier, heads for the island chain's capital. His mission? To kidnap England's once king, the Duke of Windsor, and sit him on the throne of a defeated Britain. But others happen to be in that part of the Atlantic as well. The once bitter rivals, the Submariner, and the Human Torch. So this seems kind of like it's going to be a uh, an origin story for the Invaders team, and I am I'm here for it. Uh, the Invaders comic that's been put out by Chip Zdarsky and uh, Butch Geese has been incredible, and if this kind of serves as a prequel comic to that, I am all for it. Next up, on the DC side, we have Superman Up in the Sky, number one of six, written by Tom King with art by uh, Sandra Hope and Andy Kubert. This is a collection of the stories that have been coming out in uh, Superman Giant, which are the Walmart-exclusive uh books, the giant editions for Superman, Batman, and others in the DC Universe that they've been pretty exclusively uh, released at Walmart. It's kind of a a, uh, tie-in deal with them. Basically, they're giant-sized comics that feature some of the best stories featuring those characters, as well as a backup story in each issue uh, 
written and drawn by a certain creative team. I was really excited to see what Tom King could bring to Superman. And the Batman one is really interesting too because that's being written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Nick Darrington. I love Nick Darrington's art. And I'm a big fan of Andy Kubert's art too. So I'm interested to see what this story is going to be about. I haven't been able to find any of the uh, Walmart editions just because they go so quickly and Walmart orders so few. So I'm interested to see what they bring to this. This is going to be just these stories written by Tom King with art by Andy Kubert. So I'm really excited. Let's jump into the synopsis here. Available to comic shops for the first time. Following a home invasion that ends in murder, Superman is put on the trail of a Metropolis mystery by Batman. But can even the Man of Steel discover the truth behind these tragic deaths or their ties to the far-off world of Ran? These stories by Tom King with art by Andy Kubert, guest starring Green Lantern and other heroes, were originally published in Superman Giant number 3 and 4. So, yeah, I'm interested. Um, Tom King has been in the news a lot in the past year for all of the stuff that he's been writing. So I'm interested to see what he brings with his kind of writing sensibilities to Superman. And I think you should, you should check this out, too. Next up, we have Old Man Quill, number 7 of 12, written by Ethan Sachs, with art by Robert Gill. This book has been really good. Uh, the first six issues have been fantastic, and I'm excited for the back half, the final six issues of this story, to uh, get rolling. So we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The shocking secret behind Quill's quest revealed. Quill has made it to the Baxter building, but with the hidden weapon in reach, a shocking secret will turn the quest on its head. This is the issue everyone will be talking about. The biggest surprise in the Wasteland's universe since Wolverine's tragic encounter in Old Man Logan. Do not miss it. So yeah, um, that's a big promise, because I think the reveal that Wolverine killed all of the X-Men in Old Man Logan, spoiler alert for a 10-year-old comic, um, was a huge revelation and really, uh, I think, elevated the book above what a lot of people thought it was going to be. So if this promises to be as big of a revelation, if not bigger, I am definitely interested to see what they do. Next up is Deceased, number three of six. We're at the halfway mark for this zombie-filled arc, uh, written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison and Linneal Yu. Uh, this book has been interesting so far. I'm still not sold on the zombie aspect. A lot of people uh, believe that the zombie... Uh, trope is kind of played out and it is but the last couple issues have been really interesting and i'm interested to see where it goes from here so let's jump into the synopsis here heroes villains and gods have fallen cities have collapsed the virus threatens to reach below the waves and even to the island of themyscira the race to save planet Earth is on. The surviving members of the Justice League have learned the secret to the spread of the virus, but is it already too late to stop it? So yeah, um, I'm kind of expecting, since this is an uh, alternate universe kind of story, and 
I'm sure is taking more than a couple beats from Marvel Zombies that this is going to end with everyone dying. So um, I'm interested to see, you know, kind of the rage against the dying of the light story that they're going to be putting out for this. So uh, definitely check this one out. Next up, we have Dead Man Logan, number 9 of 12, written by Ed Brisson with art by Mike Henderson and covers by Declan Shalvey. Love Declan Shalvey's art. Uh, This book has been incredible. Absolutely incredible. I love this book so much. And uh, the arc of him jumping back into the Wastelands has been fantastic as well. The entire story has been just amazing. And I'm really, really just... I can't wait for to see how this wraps up. Uh, we are the cover at least is teasing a final confrontation between Old Man Logan and Old Man Sabretooth, who has been on his trail since he came back to the wasteland. So I cannot wait to see them clash, and I cannot wait to see uh, how that relationship has evolved and changed, and how it's really stayed the same. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Return of the Beast. Before he left the wastelands, Old Man Logan Slade, the feral, cannibalistic animal once called Victor Creed, better known as Sabretooth. Their centuries-long rivalry ended the only way it could, with a corpse. But nothing tends to stay dead out here except the ones you love. So, sounds like we're going to get kind of a flashback to their final confrontation, and then we're going to find out how he is now out and about and tracking Old Man Logan. So, I'm excited. This book has been so good so far. If you haven't yet, pick up the previous issues. It has been just a wonderful story, kind of chronicling the end of the journey for this uh, this decades and hundreds year old man who is just trying to find his place and find a peaceful place to lie his head for the last time. So definitely, definitely check this out. But the big book this week from DC Comics is Doom Patrol, The Weight of the World's number one. Written by Gerard Way with art by Jeremy Lambert and James Harvey and covers by Nick Darrington. Uh, This is the return of the Doom Patrol after the end of Gerard Way's initial uh, Doom Patrol run, which I have finally caught up on and is excellent. Uh, This book is featuring a lot of stuff, but I would recommend first... uh, If you do have the DC Universe app, which you should, go back into their comics library and read uh, Milk Wars because this book does feature the return of Rita Farr and her showing back up in the Doom Patrol story happened in Milk Wars. So definitely read that. If you want to have like a sequential read, read the Doom Patrol initial run by uh, Gerard Way first, then read Milk Wars, and then read this, and you'll have the full story. But uh, yeah, this is continuing on that saga with the characters we all know and love, plus a couple as well. So um, I'm really excited. I really enjoyed uh, Gerard Way's initial run, and I loved the Doom Patrol show. So this is going to take... A lot of the cues from both of those, I think, and blend them. So let's jump into the synopsis here. All hail the supreme shape. 
Gerard Way and the world's strangest superheroes return in an all-new series that takes them beyond the borders of time and space. Featuring artwork by acclaimed cartoonist James Harvey, this issue finds the Doom Patrol facing off against the fanatical witness fiends of Planet Orbius and the Marathon Eternal. Meanwhile, Cliff Steele, formerly known as Robot Man, must come to terms with his new body of flesh and bone, yet the real test turns out to be something far more frightening. His mom. So yeah, another, I guess, spoiler for uh, Milk Wars at the end of the story. Uh, Robot Man Cliff Steele was turned into a human once again. So we're going to see how that affects his team dynamic and really where he fits in the team now that he doesn't have his robot body. So I'm really excited for it, really interested in these books. I definitely think you should be checking these out. To recap, we have Captain America, Invaders Bahamas Triangle number one, Superman, Up in the Sky number one of six, Old Man Quill number seven of 12, Deceased number three of six, Dead Man Logan number nine of 12, and Doom Patrol, The Weight of the Worlds number one. If I missed any books or if there are any books that you think I should be reading, feel free to let me know on social media or through email. I always love discovering new books. And also feel free to let me know what you thought of Spider-Man Far From Home. We are officially in Spider-Man month. Every episode this month will be focusing on a different aspect of the wall crawler. And I'm excited to dive into that with you guys so let me know what you thought of spider-man far from home especially the post-credit scenes and uh i am excited to have that conversation with you and where do you think that the mcu is going to go now that uh things have changed so uh feel free to let me know all of that i'm really excited to uh look at the next stage of the mcu as well as where spider-man goes from here and i'm really excited to just dive into spider-man month so feel free to let me know all that stuff also make sure you participate in our giveaway once again all you have to do is go onto twitter give us a follow and tweet at us with your favorite x-man and why as well as the hashtag danica xix and you will be entered into the giveaway and we will be doing an official randomized drawing next week once again just us listeners for now so so, uh, yeah, I'm excited. There's a lot of stuff going on with the podcast right now, a lot of stuff going on in our geek culture, and I'm excited to go on this ride with you folks. So uh, tune in next week for all of that, as well as the continuation of Spider-Man Month. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Zana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.
a menace to the entire city. I want that ball-crawling arachnid prosecuted. I want him strung up by his web. I want Spider-Man!